This message was recorded live at the Ark Church in Conroe, Texas. Been doing a series called Get a Grip. And it's, it's not meant to be unkind. It's not meant to be said uh, in an unkind way. It's talking about holding on to what's valuable to us. The Brazilians have a term for it. They, they call someone who sticks with something, they say they have uh, gara is their word. Now, that's, that's not the Portuguese pronunciation. Uh, I don't do well with Portuguese. I, I do much better with Southern English, and so we're going to call it gara, G-A-R-R-A. But if you look it up, the word means to have fingernails, to have a claw. And so they say when someone who sticks with something, they say someone has a claw, they got a grip. And uh, it, it's, a, it's a good term. So we want to talk about that this morning, about some things that we need to keep a grip on and need to hold on to. There's a great verse in Colossians, and this is where th- this idea came. And when Paul was talking, he said in Colossians, if indeed you, he said, continue in the faith, grounded and steadfast, and are not moved away from the hope of the gospel, which you heard, which was preached to every creature under heaven, of which I, Paul, became a minister. He said, if you continue in the faith. So in other words, there's, there's, there's forces. You have to be intentional about that because there's forces that try to pull us away from the faith. When I was a kid, I played, um, this was back in, of course, I, I grew up in a very beautiful neighborhood. My hometown of Greensboro, North Carolina is a beautiful place. It really is. It's got rolling hills. It's got beautiful big trees. It has no hurricanes, very few tornadoes. It's a wonderful place to be. And uh, four seasons, and I grew up on a, on a block that had a bunch of kids, and there were miles of woods behind there. You could just play in the woods. It's a wonderful place to grow up. And you have to understand this is before video games were even thought of. And so we played kind of like, you know, low technology games, like tag. Anybody ever play tag? You remember tag? It doesn't take a lot to get tag. I, I can just explain it to you. Tag is somebody is it, and you run around, and they try, if they touch you, you're it. See? Told you, you could get it. it but now... The, the thing about tag, though, is there was one place where you could go. If you went to home base, you were safe. So you could run to home base. Home base was like a tree or a lamppost or a telephone pole or a car, uh, some immovable object. And so you would run, and you would, as long as you were holding on to home base, you were safe. But if they lured you off home base or if you tried to run and make it, you were, you were vulnerable. There are things that try to pull us away from our faith. Things that try to pull us away from our faith, uh, home base. Let me, let me give you some this morning. Your environment can pull you away. Your environment. In other words, if you have people around you all the time who are constantly, constantly pulling at your faith or dinging your faith or, or no, no respect for God, do not think that that environment will not impact you. That environment can impact you. You need to recognize it. I'm not saying you, you completely quit your job and say, I'm going to go work for a church where there's no people like that. But you have to understand that that's an environment that you can, that can pull from you, which is why I suggest church as a good way of coming together. We worship, we sing, we remind ourselves that we love God. There's people that respect God. And that's a supportive environment. Because if your environment is all the time negative, it can pull on you. Another area that can pull you away from faith, there you are, you got your hand on, on home base, you're holding on, but it can lure you away, is this perceived lack of need for God. The perceived lack of need for God. Now, I've, I've been a pastor long enough, been in ministry long enough, or I can just tell you this happens. The people, man, things are rough. People, man, they come to church. 
are going to show up in church, things are bad. And if you come to church or you're watching today because of things are bad, it, it's, a, it's a good idea. So keep doing that. But oftentimes, I've noticed that when the pressure is off, then people feel like, oh, we're good. I had someone tell us that the other day. He said, no. said, no, man, yeah, things were good and we didn't come. So why are you back? Things are bad. So here they are. So the idea that I don't need God and when the pressure is off, it's, 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 listen, that's such a short-term strategy because you don't know what tomorrow holds. If there's anything this year has taught us, guys, has it taught us that some things have come up this year that we never thought would come up? And so we have, hey, listen, can you guarantee that 2021 is going to be vastly different? I hope it's vastly different, but I can't guarantee it. So the idea is I, I want to stay close to him. I'm going to keep my hand on, on safe, home base. I'm going to continue with my faith because I don't know what's coming. And then the last one is, it's interesting, it's called distractions and desires that, that weigh you down. Distractions and desires that weigh you down. There's a great verse. Jesus talked about it in, in Luke 21st chapter. He said, be careful. This is Jesus speaking. He said, or your hearts would be weighed down with, with carousing, drunkenness, and the anxieties of life. And that day will close on you suddenly like a trap. He said, your hearts can be weighed down with carousing and, and drunkenness. Is that how you're going to talk about partying? Now, I'm just going to tell you it can weigh you down. There's a lot of things in life that can weigh you down. They can weigh your heart down. But if you're all sitting there thinking, well, I don't carouse or I'm never drunk. Yeah, what about the anxieties of life? What about those fears and anxieties and pressures that come on you that can, that can pull you away, can lure you away? And if you get lured away, tag your it. But, so how do you, how do you know about these things? Because <laughs> I experienced all three. I came to the Lord when I was 19 years old. Really had an experience with him. I was born again, walking across the field in Carbondale, Illinois on June 6, 1978. I was filled with the Spirit. I had just an experience with God that was awesome. And I went back to college. Now, I was selling books door to door. And I worked from 8 o'clock to 9 o'clock at night, six days a week. Made a lot of money. Went back to college. I went back. I was, I was rooming with, I already arranged it. I was rooming with um, two of my fraternity brothers. There were three more next door. It was, a, it was a party place. These people majored in partying. They minored in academics. And it was, it was a party place. And when I came back, even though I'd had this great experience with God, I had a faith in the Lord Jesus. But my environment began to pull me. These are guys, they're, they, were, they were partying all the time. And here's the deal. I never got in a church. I never started going to church. So I was surrounded by this environment that was pulling me away from my faith. Now, listen, you say, Alan, you talk a lot about church because I recognize what happened when I wasn't there. It would have been helpful to have people who could come around me and, and support me and encourage me. That's what church is for. It's part of the reason church is here. And so I, the environment. When I came back and I wasn't selling books door to door, listen, if you've ever sold anything door to door, you get a lot of rejection. And uh, you get a lot. Man, it's hard. I'm walking Everywhere I went, I walked. I walked miles. I had a, a heavy case that I carried with all my books in it that I sold. I sold these books. And in fact, I wore my jeans out right there where that thing just kept hitting my back. It was, it was a long, hot summer. But when I came back, I had money, and I'm back in college. And the pressure was off. 
And so I, you know, I thought, well, I needed God in the summer, but I don't need him as much now. And so my perceived lack of need for God began to lure me off. I didn't continue in the faith. And then the last one is this, the desires and things that would weigh you down. I remember I went to a college where the girls outnumbered the guys. It was almost two to one, which I thought put the odds directly in my favor. And uh, I, I had met two girls within the space of one week. And one of them was a really good Christian girl, and the other one was not. And I remember I was talking with the Christian girl. I was sitting, talking to her in her dorm room on a Sunday afternoon. And I was thinking, do I go this way with this girl? Because if I go this way with this girl, then the partying is going to stop. And she's a straight-laced Christian girl. Or do I go with the other one? I made the wrong call. I went the other way. So... I understand these things, and this is why Paul is writing. He said, guys, we have to continue in the faith. Is that the only thing that can pull us off? No, there are other things as well. And if you think, well, I I can never be there. I'm immune to that. Please don't ever, ever think that. That's why it encourages us to continue in this faith. Now, there was a man in the Bible that you would have thought would have never, ever backed away from Jesus, but he did. His name was Peter, and he walked with Jesus for three and a half years, he probably knew Jesus better than anyone, at least he knew who Jesus was. He had a revelation that Jesus was the Christ, the son of the living God. He had a, he'd seen a revelation on the Mount of Transfiguration where he'd actually seen Jesus transfigured and saw Moses and Elijah. I mean, he had these visions, he saw miracles, had all these amazing things going on, but he, he took his hand off home base. So here's the story here. Now, as Peter was below, this is when Jesus had been arrested. Peter was below in the courtyard. One of the servant girls of the high priest came, and when she saw Peter warming himself, she looked at him and said, you also were with Jesus of Nazareth. But he denied it and said, I neither know nor understand what you're saying. And he went out on the porch and a rooster crowed. And as the servant girl saw him again, began to say to those who stood by, this was one of them, but he denied it again. And a little later, those who stood by said to Peter again, surely you are one of them for you're a Galilean and your speech shows it. Then he began to curse and swear. I do not know this man of whom you speak. The second time a rooster crowed, then Peter called to mind the word that Jesus had said to him. Before the rooster crows twice, you'll deny me three times. And when he thought about it, he wept. Now this was Peter, the bold one, the one that had a faith in Jesus. But then something happened that kind of rattled his faith. He he saw Jesus. He'd never seen Jesus get arrested. You know, Jesus used to walk through crowds that were angry at him. He avoided arrest all the time. But now here he was. He was arrested, and he wasn't saying anything, and they were condemning him. And Peter was watching all this from the courtyard. First time he'd ever seen this, and it rattled Peter. And I'm sure Peter then became concerned for his own life. They arrest Jesus. What are they going to do with me? I'm one of them. And Peter, Peter, man, he got under pressure. And when he got under pressure, he left his faith. And, they, and he said, do you know him? And he actually got to the place where he was cussing and swearing, saying, I do not know the man. Now, this was obviously a decision he made in his head, because when he thought about it later, his heart felt horrible. And he just, he absolutely just felt horrible. He wept. But I got good news. If you left your faith, 
If you've taken your hand off home, if you've wound up in a place where you don't know or you're not continuing the faith, Peter got restored. Jesus was merciful. You know, Peter left Jesus. Jesus never left him. And let me tell you something. I, he was merciful. I can join my voice with Peter. The Lord is merciful. And you may take your hand off him, but he never takes his hand off you. And so your ability to come back and to bounce back and to continue in the faith, if you've dropped your faith, pick it back up. And let's get going again. And let's continue. Let me give you three areas where you want to continue in your faith. Three areas that you want to hold on to. You want to keep a hold of home base. The first one is this. You need to hold on to the idea that God is real and he is real good. Real and real good. The writer of Hebrews says, without faith it's impossible to please him. He who comes to God must believe that he is and he's a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Not a punisher, not a, not a, a herder. He is a rewarder of those that diligently seek him. Listen, guys, we've got to go back not to the place where God's going to get you, but to the place where we believe, God, you are real. You are the creator of heavens and earth and you are good and good to me. There's a lot of us that can say the Lord has been good. We sang that song that I will sing of the goodness of God. There's a lot of us that can raise our hands and say we have been through some stuff, but the Lord has been good to us. He has been faithful to us. He has helped us. He is, he's real and he's real good. Hang on to that. Here's another thing you need to hang on to, that Jesus Christ is the risen son of God and he loves us. Paul began to write to the Galatian church, and here's what he wrote to them. Wonderful verse, said, I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I, I who live, but Christ lives in me, and the life which I now live in the flesh. In other words, down here, he said, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. You notice how Paul makes that personal? He said, I love, I love the Lord who loved me and gave himself for me for me. You realize he did that for us. He did that for you. You got to make it personal. When you make it personal, you make it powerful. When you make it, he loves me. And so my faith is in the risen son of God who did that for me. There's a father who was, who was riding with his son, a beautiful country, uh, spring country day, had the windows open. As they were riding in the car, a bumblebee flew into the car. And the little boy who was very allergic to, to bee stings became just petrified. He was so scared. And that bee was buzzing around. And the father just reaches out. He, he, caught, he snatched that bee and grabbed him in his hand and then let him go. And then when he let him go, the, the bee buzzed around. The boy began to scream again. And the father said, no, no. He said, look, look right here. And in the middle of his palm was the stinger. He said, I've taken the stinger. I've taken the sting. He's not going to hurt you. Listen, let me tell you something. On the cross, Jesus took the sting of sin, of shame, of, of sickness, of death. He took the sting. And he did it for us. And he loved us. So I'm going to hold on to my faith in him. The third thing you want to hold on to and hold on to your faith is the idea that you have a personal covenant relationship with the almighty God the creator of the universe, that no longer are you separated from God. No longer are you standing apart and standing aloof. No longer are you trying to get to God. The Bible said, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God. That word peace simply means that there's, it's not that, oh, we've stopped fighting. No, there's, there's a togetherness again. And we have a, we have a, a relationship with him. Guys, this, this life is not just 
fire insurance and, until you get to heaven. This is a, a relationship with God that can grow and can develop and is worth the effort and is so worth you hanging on to, so worth holding on to. So we want to be able to continue, remember, with our continuing in the faith. We've got a hand on home base. You can't get me with my hands on home. So I'm holding home base. I'm safe. But not only when you hold on to faith does it, does it do something for you, but it also begins to do something in you. Because he said that you're not moved away from the hope of the gospel. Not moved away from the hope. There are things, again, trying to pull us away from the hope we have. Hope is a positive, favorable expectation. I got a positive, favorable expectation. Let me give you, listen, the hope of the gospel is a huge series. I won't do the whole thing this morning, but let me give you three things that we have a hope in and a hope for. The hope of the gospel is the hope of change. See, there's something in all of us that wants to change. We want to be better. If you don't believe that, look at all the books, look at all the seminars, look at all the blogs, listen to all the things. How many of them are talking about how you can improve your life, how your life can be better, how you can make a change, how your life can be different. And whether that's lose weight or start a new career or just simply have more peace or get rid of anxiety, there's something within all of us that says, I can change and I want to change. I want, I want to be more than I am. I want to be more than, than what I see right now. There's something in us. I believe, it, I believe God put that in us and it drives us. We want, to, we want to grow. We want to develop. We don't want to stay where we are. But the beautiful thing about it is when you made Jesus Christ the Lord of your life, and if you haven't done it, we'll give you an opportunity at the end of the service. But when you do that, the Bible says, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away and all things have become new. So we say, hey, I've been changed, but the change doesn't stop there. We have the hope of change. And in Philippians, Paul talks about this when he says, being confident of this very thing, that he who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. Aren't you glad that many of us in here can say, God started a good work in me years ago or just weeks ago when I made Jesus Christ my Lord. But not only did he start a good work in you, he will continue to work in you. And if you'll allow him, the beautiful thing is a year from now, you can be stronger, you can be more Christ-like, you can have more peace, you can have more joy in your life because the one who started the work has not, has not done, thank God, he found us like we are, he doesn't leave us like we are, and we have the hope of change. But there's another hope we have, and that's the hope of help. The hope of help, the idea that we don't have to live this life completely on our own, that we have help. My parents were both a product of the Depression. Both of them were raised in the Depression. My dad especially, he's in heaven now, but my dad especially came up hard in life. Eight years old, my father was pushing an ice cream cart around the streets of Newton, Georgia, trying to make money for the family. This is back before a lot of refrigeration. This was back, I think, in the, uh, probably in the early 40s, 30s. And he, he would push in a heavy ice cream cart and sell ice cream as an eight-year-old boy. One of my dad's big concerns was that because I was growing up in a completely different environment, that I, it, would, it would make me soft. And so he liked to find challenges for me to do. Now, um, <laughs> yeah, like I said, th this is old school. So what I'm, what I'm about to tell you, I don't, I don't want you to hold it against him, but this is, this is what it did. 
I'm 10 years old. I wanted to go to this basketball camp about two and a half hours away. Well, they had a provision there that, that you could actually ride the bus and someone from the camp would pick you up. So at 10 years old, my dad put me on a Greyhound bus by myself to go to drive down to this camp. Sure enough, they, now he, he got in there and he talked to the bus driver. The bus driver knew where I was. And I sat there and a college kid counselor picked me up. I was the only camper, the only one that arrived by bus. And so I think the counselors felt sorry for me. But anyway, when I, when I showed up, I had a week of basketball camp, and I appreciate my parents doing that. At the end of camp, counselor took me back to the bus stop and dropped me off. And I remember standing there with my suitcase and a pillow and walking in. And I, I didn't, I, I'd never been on the bus station really before except once. And nobody was with me. And I, I, was, I got called up and doing something, and I missed my bus back to... Greensboro. I'm a 10-year-old boy. You can imagine a 10-year-old boy. I can remember, I still have one of those vivid memories. You know how you have some memories that just never leave you? I can remember standing there with my pillow and my suitcase with tears streaming down my face going, I missed my bus. I'm going to die. I, I, I felt so all alone. I'd spent every dime that I had. I had no more money left. I spent it all on candy and Coke. And uh, I'm 10. What else are you going to spend it on when you're 10 years old, right? 10 years old. I spent all my money. I didn't have any money. I'm crying. I, I, finally, I finally just begged money from some people around me. Should have kept it up. I started making some good bucks. But I, I, should, I, I begged money and, and made a collect phone call to my parents and, and was crying. I told them that I, I, I missed my bus and they talked to someone at the bus station. And obviously, they made, obviously I made it back. Obviously, I'm a... Parenting tip. Here's my parenting tip for the day. Do not put your child on the bus when they're 10 years old by themselves. That's not, not a good But here's, here is an interesting idea. That self-esteem is not built by nurture. It's built by challenge. You just need to make sure that the challenges we give our kids are appropriate for their age group. If I'd had my dad there, I'd have felt so much different. If I'd have had my dad there, I wouldn't have worried about missing the bus because my dad was there. Now, I told that story to, to tell you this. There's so many people in life who feel like they're all alone, that they're, they're standing in the, in the bus station of life just wondering how in the world they're going to face it and deal with the problems, and they just don't know. But thank God, the hope of the gospel, the hope that we have in Christ is this, and here's a wonderful promise. It's in Isaiah 41:10. It says, fear not. This is God speaking. He says, fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. Yes, I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. I don't care if you're all by yourself, you're single, you're all alone, you think you've got nobody, you've got a relationship with God. Your, your hope of the gospel is you've got somebody holding your hand the entire time. He's going to go with you. He's going to help you. You are not alone. And you don't have to feel like you're alone. That's the hope. The hope of change, the hope of help. And the last one is the hope of purpose. The idea that that's when all of us, that this life, it has got to have more meaning than just going to work or going to school and coming home and raising a family and, and then you die. There's got to be more to this. There's got to be more purpose. And Paul 
begin to talk about the purpose we have, that if you've made Jesus Christ your Lord and Savior, you have a God-given purpose in life. Here's part of it right here in Colossians when he says this. For this reason, since the day we heard about it, we've not stopped praying for you. He heard about their faith. We continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives so that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and please him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God. Catch that? She would live a life that's worthy of the Lord. You ever thought about that? That that's your calling? To live a life worthy of God? To please God in every way? To be fruitful in every good work? If you think that's an impossibility, it's not an impossibility. You have the potential and the ability on the inside of you. You've got to hold on to your faith. You've got to not be moved away from the hope of the gospel. But God's plan for got a higher calling. You may be an engineer, a salesperson, a truck driver, construction, a stay-at-home mom, but you've got a higher calling than that. That's your vocation. Your calling is that you would walk in a manner that pleases God, that you would walk worthy of God. You would be fruitful in everything you do, and you would increase in the knowledge of God. That gives us hope of purpose. That there's something, this life is just not all there is. There's something more we can live for. And I think of the hope of the gospel. I think I'm not moving away. I think, of a, I think of how valuable our relationship with the Lord is. There's a story I recently read about a, a young man. His name was Wells Crowder. Wells Crowther. Here he is right here. Wells had a, um, a father, a very good father, loved him, gave him a, a red bandana when he was six years old. Told him the white bandana, the white the white handkerchief in his pocket was for, for show, and the red bandana was for blow. And Wells thought that was really great. But he held on to that bandana. When he was 16 years old, he volunteered for the Empire Hook and Ladder uh, group there in, in uh, a fire department there in New York City, along with uh, his father, 16-year-old volunteer. He took his red bandana with him. When he went to college, played, he played lacrosse for Boston College, he wore his red bandana around his head and uh, under his helmet, always had it. So Wells brought that red bandana with him when he went to the 104th floor of the South Tower of the World Trade Center and became an equities trainer, brought his red bandana. Red bandana was with Wells on that day at 9-11 when Flight 175 crashed into the South Tower just decimated 70, floor 75 through 84. There's a lady who flew a few floors beneath Wells. Her name was Lynn Young. And Lynn, when she, when she got over the initial blast of that plane hitting, she couldn't even see because of the blood on her eyeglasses. When she, when she wiped her eyeglasses away, she saw all these mangled bodies and people around her. She saw somebody coming through, the, through all the, the dust and the fog. She said, it looked like a shadow. And it was Wells Crowther. And now that red bandana is around his nose and over his mouth. He got Lynn Young up and, and got some others up. And he said, he said, come with me. I've found the stairs. Took him down 20 flights of stairs to where there were some uh, firefighters who took him down about another 20 flights. And there were some elevators that were working. But Wells Crowther didn't go down the elevator. He went back up. Found a lady named Judy Judy Wine. Judy had a broken arm, a, a punctured lung, broken ribs. And Wells found her, got her up, 
and shouted out to anyone, stand up if you can, and if you can help somebody, help them. And he led more people down the, the stairs again to the firefighters who got them down on the elevators. But again, Wells Crowther did not go down. He went back up again. Wells Crowther never made it out of the South Tower. He's 24 years old. They found his body six months later. He was surrounded with a bunch of uniformed firefighters. But it's interesting about Wells Crowther. They, they estimate he saved 18 people. They found his red bandana. And they actually took his red bandana, if you guys got a picture of that. That red bandana is now in the 9-11 Museum. And it's a testimony to the, the, the heroism, the courage, self-sacrifice of Wells Crowther. Lynn Young. And Lynn Young has a picture of Wells Crowther in her apartment. She said, he saved my life. She said, I wouldn't be here if it wasn't for him. And she said this, she said, he will always have a place in my heart and in my life. And I thought about that, that story, it, and we're always just so inspired by a 24-year-old young man who would do that. But I think there's another symbol that we have, if you're a believer, if you're a Christian, another symbol of heroism, of courage, and of self-sacrifice. That's the symbol we have as a Christian of a cross, where Jesus took our sins and took our sicknesses and pain and all the curse of mankind, and he took it on himself for us. And even though we don't maybe carry a, a picture of Jesus in our home, we ought to carry a picture of him in our hearts, because without him, we wouldn't be here. He saved our life. He will always have a place in our heart. Hold on to your faith. Would you bow your head with me for a moment? This morning, if you're watching or you're here in person, I'll give you an opportunity. If you've never made Jesus Christ the Lord and Savior of your life, I'll give you an opportunity to do that. Or maybe you're like I was, had a, made a decision earlier and then got away from God. You realize you drifted away. Maybe it's time to come back to home base. It's time to come home. We're going to say a prayer. We're not going to ask you to stand up or come to the front. If you're by yourself, you can pray this prayer with us quietly. If you're with others, you can still pray it. Just, we want to encourage you to pray this. But if that's you that I'm talking to, and you say, Alan, I, that's me. I, I, I want to be sure that I have a relationship with the Lord, or I want to come home. Would you pray for me? Just real quickly, here in the auditorium, would you slip your hand up? And say, Alan, would you pray for me? Thank you. Thanks. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, got it. Thank you. Anyone else? Thank you. Yeah, way in the back. Thank you. Wonderful. You can put your hands down. They're online. If you, there's actually a place where you can click and, and say, hey, I, I did raise my hand. We're going to pray a prayer. Maybe you didn't raise your hand. Maybe you wanted to. You can still pray this prayer with us. It's a heart prayer. We're going to pray it together as a church family. Say, dear God, I know mankind needs a Savior. I know I can't save myself. Jesus, I believe you're the Son of God. I believe you died on the cross for my sins. And God raised you from the dead. Right now, I confess you as my Lord, as my Savior, as the one who restores me and forgives me. Thank you, Jesus. My past is forgiven. I have a relationship with you. I'm a new creation in Christ because I've said yes to you. Father, thank you for those that prayed that prayer this morning. 
Thank you for those who've come home and those who've come back. We rejoice with them. We thank you. And Father, for the rest of us, ground us, settle us in our faith in you that we're not moved away from the wonderful hope that's in the gospel. We'll give you all the praise for that. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to this message. For more about The Ark, visit thearkchurch.com.